I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And good morning. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You're also invited to visit our website, www.asburybaptist.org. In addition, you can reach more messages and more Bible teaching on gospeldynamite.org as well. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God? you're listening to Gospel Dynamite, I invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 16, verses 10 through 21. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. There were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. The great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. In Revelation chapter 5, the Lamb of God took a seven-sealed book from the hand of his Father. And this book represented the title deed to the planet Earth. Jesus owns this world because he created it out of nothing. He owns this world because he redeemed it when he was on the cross and dying. When Jesus took that seven-sealed book. He began to open the seals, and when he did, the tribulation period began 
on the earth. By the time we reach these verses, the world has been smiting under the wrath of a holy God for seven years, and now the tribulation is about to come to an end. As the final three seals are opened, God prepares to conclude his judgment of this world and its inhabitants. When the events of these final three judgments are concluded, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, will return to the earth in glory and power. He will take possession of the throne of this world, and he will rule in righteousness. These last three plagues set the stage and prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And when Jesus returns, he will finally receive the glory and honor that he deserves. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians 2, chapter 2 and verses 5 to 11, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name thus above every name, that at the name of Jesus every tongue should confess and every knee should bow that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today, the Lord Jesus is rejected, maligned, and hated by the world. That hatred is only going to intensify as the days go by and grow more and more evil. Now in these verses, the Lord God begins the process of final judgment upon the earth. And in our last study, we watched as the final judgment commenced. Today, we consider the final judgment as it concludes. I would call your attention to verses 10 and 11. The beast is plagued. Up until now, the beast has been somewhat sheltered from direct attack. And when this fifth bowl is poured out, it's directed at his very seat of power. Like Pharaoh in ancient Egypt, the Antichrist and all his power is helpless against the judgment of Almighty God. This plague begins at the very throne room of the Antichrist, and it spreads to cover his entire kingdom. Now, he may be a powerful ruler. He may be energized and supported by Satan, but he is a helpless dove when compared against the God of heaven. Verse 10, we also see that the light is darkened. When the fifth bold judgment is unleashed upon the world, the world is suddenly engulfed in darkness. This darkness is not the darkness we normally think of. It is absolute blackness. The darkness will be so complete, nothing can penetrate it. And Surely this darkness represents some change in the way light reaches the planet. It also suggests that the power grids that we use to light the earth will be nearly done away with. Whatever causes the darkness, it will be severe and it will be complete. 
This supernaturally imposed darkness is a tangible representation of the darkness that has already engulfed the world. The world has already rejected the light of the world, the Lord Jesus, because they love darkness rather than light, John 3 and verse 19. And this world chose moral, spiritual, intellectual, and emotional darkness over the light that was available in the person of the Lord Jesus and in the word of God. They favored darkness over light, and God gives them more darkness than they could ever bargain for. We're also told that when this darkness descends, men will literally chew their tongues because their pain is so great. The combined misery of the sores in their bodies and starvation from the ruined oceans, the lack of drinkable water, terrible burns that they've suffered from intense heat of the sun, all combined together cause the inhabitants of the earth to writhe in pain. What we see here is a tiny glimpse of hell, just a microcosm what they will suffer in hell. God is letting the Antichrist and his followers know what is waiting on them because they have rejected Jesus Christ. Once, when speaking of hell, Jesus said, Matthew 25 and verse 30, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What we see here is a microcosm, a small glimpse of what those who reject Jesus will face when they go to hell. Let me stop right here. If you have never been saved, you need to pay attention to what the Bible is saying. There is a real place called hell, and real people spend a real eternity in real judgment there. Do not turn your back on the light. Come to Jesus and be saved, or one day you'll find yourself in a horrible place called hell. Now, when the plagues come, when the pains come, you would think that the people would have enough sense to repent of their sins, turn to God. Oh, not these people. They shake their puny fist in the face of God, and they curse him, and they blaspheme him. What a tragedy. But what a window into the human heart. There are those who tell us that mankind is bad. But there is a spark of the divine within him. They believe that man fell when Adam sinned, but that fall was not complete. The fact is, man is totally depraved. This does not mean that he is as bad as he can be at all times. It does mean that there is no spiritual good in mankind at all. 
The Bible is completely clear. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, and we all have come short of his glory. Man left to himself will only grow more and more corrupt according to Ephesians 4 and verse 22. Now, if this judgment proves anything, it proves the absolute sinfulness of humanity. It proves that man is an incorrigible sinner and that salvation is totally the work of grace, the work of God. Jesus Christ initiates salvation from the start of it to the finish of it. Man cannot say he has done one iota of the work of redemption. It cannot be 99% grace and 1% works or 1% anything man does. It has to be 100% God. This proves that even when man is confronted with the power and judgment of God, he will not repent of his sins. It proves that salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2, 9, and that people don't just get religion or turn to Jesus. It proves that salvation requires direct divine intervention. If God did not come to us on a personal, individual basis, if the Holy Spirit did not convict us of our sin, and quicken our dead spirit, for the Bible says that we are dead, spiritually dead in our sin. And if the Spirit of God and the grace of God did not extend to us and save us by his grace, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, then my friend, we would all go to hell. You see, the same rebellion and hatred of God would be revealed in you and me were it not for the grace of God. When people do die and go to hell, we have the image of them trying to get saved as they confess their sins and cry out to Jesus. I don't believe it's that way at all. In fact, you look at the rich man in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, there is no hint of remorse over the life that he lived, there is only sorrow over the sentence he received. When people go to hell, they will lift their voices in blaspheme against God. They will curse him, and even his judgment will not bring them to a place of repentance. May God help the sin-cursed fallen world in verses 12 through 16, I would show you there's a battle that is planned. The sixth bowl is poured out on the earth, and it sets the stage for the battle of Armageddon. Now, when this angel pours out his bowl, we're told that the Euphrates River will dry up. The Euphrates River begins in Turkey at Mount Ararat and flows south through Iraq into the Persian Gulf. 
This river, which is over 1,700 miles long and 3,600 feet wide at some places, has been for centuries the dividing line between the east and the west. As we know, no river really possesses a problem for a modern mechanized army. God will remove every obstacle and prepare the way for a massive invasion of the Middle East. How will the river be dried up? Well, considering the fact that the oceans and all fresh water have been turned to blood, the amount of rainfall the earth has received has been dramatically reduced. There have been some speculation that water levels would be far lower than normal anyway. Add this to the fact that many dams have been built along the river, it would be very easy for human engineers to cut off the water. However, the fourth bowl intensified the heat of the sun. This would cause the snow and the ice cap on Mount Ararat to melt, causing the Euphrates to overflow its bank. Either way, it will be the result of divine intervention. God will speak and the waters of the Euphrates will cease to flow so that a massive army can pass. We're told that a vast eastern army in verse 12 will use that highway created by the drying up of the Euphrates River to move toward Israel. Now the intention of this army is the total destruction of Israel. The phrase kings of the east literally means the kings of the rising sun. This reference has caused many to speculate that China and her allies would be the source of the army. Back in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 16, the Bible speaks of an army that numbers some 200, 200 million. Only one nation on earth could raise an army of that size, and that's China. However, we could propose a different interpretation. The way things have been shaping up in the world, we're heading toward a showdown between Islam and the Jews. Arab nations that surround Israel have repeatedly tried to call for the ousting of Jews from Palestinian land, and they failed in every attempt. Though outnumbered some seven to one, the Israelis have defeated their Arab enemies every time they've met on the battlefield. This has created some hostility, of course, in the hearts of Arab nations. Imagine returning home to a land that's been in your family for centuries only to find someone else living there. You and your family have been evicted with no place to go. The Arabs hate the Jews, and they long for the total destruction of the nation of Israel. I think that's what they're seeing here, maybe in these verses. While Islam paints itself in colors of peace and love, the religion calls for the death of all Jews and Christians. Anyone who's not a Muslim or an infidel, in their eyes, infidels must either repent or die. In fact, there's three passages that I could point you to. The Quran, chapter 59, verse 14, the Jews are devoid of sense. There's a grievous punishment awaiting them. Satan tells them not to believe, so they will end up in hell. And I cringe at the fact of quoting from the Quran, but I do that for the fact of just letting you know there's three sufficient passages that I have that point to the destruction and the death of 
Jews and Christians. Again, God has the final say. He has the plans mapped out. He's had them from the foundation of the world. We don't have to speculate even though we do. Verses 13 and 14, we see the antagonist here. When this judgment is poured out, three frogs are seen coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, frogs are unclean creatures, and they're used here to refer to evil spirits or, or demons. The mouth is a source of influence. So it seems that Satan will inspire the worlds of these in hellish world leaders. And they will whip their followers into a frenzy for a final assault against Israel. They're able to form a coalition between the armies of the world and the final war will be satanically inspired and energized. On the heels of this judgment in verse 15, a heavenly announcement is made. Ever since Jesus ascended back into heaven, it has been prophesied that he would return. Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11. Seven years prior to these events, Christ did return, and he received his bride into heaven. That was the rapture. This verse is referring to the second coming of Christ to the earth. Jesus is telling his precious people to hang on. He is coming. His coming that has been imminent has now become immediate. He is at the door. The saints of God are encouraged to keep the faith for a few more days. The Lord is coming. He's coming like a thief. Now the world will not see the signs, but he will come in an instant and bring judgment with him. Jesus lets his people know their waiting is over. Verse 16, we see the army has been assembled by Satan to destroy the people of God. The devil still thinks that he's in control. Yet a quick glance at Scripture paints a different picture altogether. Verse 14 tells us that this army is being gathered to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Then verse 16, he gathered them together. <laughs> Satan may think that he's in control of these events, but the ringmaster is God himself. He gathers the nations of the world in the valley of Megiddo so that he might engage them and destroy them in one moment of time. We've already considered the valley of Megiddo in a previous message, but a little refresher doesn't hurt at all. Armageddon means the hill or the city of Megiddo. Megiddo is located in the plain of Estrelon. In this valley... The armies of the earth will come to destroy the king of kings. It is here in this place that Napoleon Bonaparte described as a natural battlefield, one of the greatest in the world. And it is this place, the final battle of the earth will be fought. We'll consider the battle in greater detail when we come to chapter 19. I call your attention to verses 17 through 21 where we see Babylon is plundered. Now the seventh bowl is poured out. When it is, the awful wrath of God and his judgments against the earth are ended. Also in this final judgment, the world system is destroyed. Since the dawn of time, man has rebelled against God. He's rebelled in his personal life, his public life, his political life, his productive life. In these verses, the entire world system is brought crashing down. Man is left with nothing. 
Verse 17, we see this bowl is poured out. A voice from the throne said, it is done. And this statement signals that the fact that judgment has reached an end. Lord Jesus is on his way. And he's prepared to take back everything Adam lost in the fall. He's preparing to claim everything he purchased at the cross. Jesus is about to receive the glory he is due. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it's finished. There he announced his victory. Here he cries, it is done. Here he announces his verdict. There he cried out in joy. Here he cries out in judgment. He's letting us know that we have reached the end of judgment and glory is just around the corner. God has been in the process of judging the world all the way through the tribulation. Wave after wave of divine wrath has washed over this world and its inhabitants, and still the world system stands in continued defiance to the will of God in heaven. But here in one final stroke, God destroys the last vestiges of human power. In one final judgment, God removes the last of man's props, and God destroys everything that man has built and glories in. In a moment of time, the world is brought to its knees. We see a great earthquake in verse 16. Earthquakes has always been a part of living in this world, and God has always used earthquakes to get man's attention. This quake will transcend the power of any quake ever measured. The devastation will be immense. We see in verse 19, the great city here probably refers to Jerusalem. That ancient city suffers terrible damage. The Old Testament speaks of great geological changes in and around Jerusalem. The rest of the cities of the earth are devastated. All the centers of pleasure, economics, and power are taken away in a moment of time. We will see this fleshed out in greater detail as Babylon is judged, according to verse 19. We'll see greater detail of that in chapter 17 and 18. But for now, we need to understand that the seat of the Antichrist power and the seat of the false prophet's power is destroyed. The city, the system behind it, will suffer more than the rest of the world. The islands and mountains are destroyed in verse 20. The entire topography of the world will change. Gigantic hailstones will fall on man, verse 21. A talent was the amount of weight that a full-grown man could reasonably lift. A talent weighs somewhere between 100 and 125 pounds. Can you imagine 125-pound balls of ice raining down from the sky? Everything that's left behind from the devastating earthquake will be pulverized and the earth will be covered with shards of ice. Any crops that is left will be destroyed. Cars, houses, people gone, wiped out. All sinners in verse 21 will be revealed even after all that they've been through. The inhabitants of the world, they refuse to repent. They continue to blaspheme God. It's hard to imagine that the human heart can be this whole hard. But yet the condition of sinners under judgment proves that lost people are totally depraved and they will not repent. My friend, Jesus Christ is coming. 
His counsel is for people to be ready. We do not know when he will come. He may come today in the rapture. He may come for you today in death. He may call for you to come home. My friend, be ready when he calls. Jesus is coming.